So, because um, not everyone's going to know, I have talked a little bit on like Instagram and stuff about you, but not everyone's going to know have what you, you do. I have a little bit, just that I'm excited to have you on, that's all. But people don't know. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background. Uh, my background? It's diverse. How okay. Far, how let's far go. back do you want to go? Claire, let's talk about your childhood. And this is where I start crying. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about your background in fitness because we're similar um, like longevity in okay. that industry so let's talk a little bit about that how did you get into fitness in the first place okay um, I did a sports science degree um, and then as soon as I finished that I did a very brave thing and set up my own personal training business in London uh, where I cycled around <laughs> like a crazy fool to different people's houses um, and it, basically at that time, it was the year 2001. Fledgling industry. Yeah, fledgling industry. I know it's hard to believe I'm that old, but I am that old. And it, um, yeah, so it was basically um, very, very, very wealthy people who, yeah. I wasn't even that expensive, but I think it was just the idea of having a personal trainer wasn't really a, the done thing to the masses like yeah. it is kind of now. So I think... Um, yeah, like I had a newsreader's daughter, like you know, like the the real big times, yeah. you know. I love that. So, uh, yeah, I was cycling out to go to Sloan Square and Barnes and all those sort of uh, wealthy places. So it was it was an amazing experience, yeah. like meeting these people and going into their houses and and I would train them. And then um, did they have gyms? How? No, I would generally take them to parks. Right. I'd spend a lot of time in Richmond Park. Um, uh, Battersea Park it's a really nice really lovely park so yeah I'd take them to parks and I would take like um, bands um, right. thermo bands uh, I'd take some small dumbbells and we would do running and I'd just use different stuff in the park cool um, steps and things like that um, but to be honest I did that for two years and I was like oh you know like I, I came to I think I was I was probably 24 and I thought I can either keep going with this and expand and take people on. I got to that point. Or, um, like, live a bit, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> I just felt like my life had just become this personal training thing, which was which I was enjoying, but, like, I, I kind of wanted to do other things. So I, um, I got a job in uh, this really crazy boxing gym in central London in Holborn. Um, and it was brilliant because... Every member, can you imagine this now? Every member that joined that gym got a free personal training session a week. Seriously? Every single person. <laughs> so everybody who worked there uh, was just, we just used to PT all day, but we used to do it for free because right. it was all part of our hourly rate. And so um, I just basically got to practice, 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 practice yeah. my trade and just PT people all the time. And I did a lot of boxing with them, but a lot of free weight training with them. And it was, yeah, it was brilliant experience. Now, was that worth your while financially doing that? Yeah, totally. Because, because now I've reaped the benefits. And I, yeah. I, and I think um, working in such a busy gym... 
um, you really get to understand the concept of you can't write out a program yeah. for your client and think about you're going to stick to that because you can you know this gym's packed yeah. and you might just have a 3k dumbbell mm. that, and you have to train that person for a whole hour with a 3k dumbbell yeah. go yeah yeah you know? yeah think on your feet <laughs> you know think on your feet that's brilliant so it was really really worth i've always it. wondered if that sort of concept would work if you had a membership base you had three or four trainers and a big whiteboard and you put down the hours that you're going to be there and the members are entitled to a free PT session, but they pay a high membership rate. Mm. And then you, as a trainer, get a salary and you, you walk in one day and you've got your, your board filled up with clients. I know mm. it won't work for specifics like the people you work with now, but I always thought that would be a really interesting concept. So trainers yeah. don't have to be constantly thinking sales, sales, sales. Yeah. It, might, it could work. It could work. And I think young trainers would really benefit. And like I said, I was young at the time and I just wanted to PT people. And I think definitely um, that concept would work. I'm not sure now, at my age now, that, you'd want to do that. that I would want to do that. And uh yeah and you you'd have to pay a really high premium in terms of the gym what the members would be paying yes but i i actually i don't know i would i would need to talk to more people i guess and ask them that question but i think it, it i don't know i think with with the increase in the number of um youtube uh workouts yeah. and people using apps i think possibly it wouldn't work yeah. there probably would have been a window maybe five years ago that it would have worked but maybe now i see a lot of people in the gym now who have an app yeah. and they're just following that on demand stuff headphones yeah. in off you go yeah yeah, yeah that makes yeah. sense so you did that one gym uh uh boxing gym and then moved on to where well, actually, Fitness First, good old Fitness First in the early, well, in the, in the noughties, so in 2003, they took over this gym that I was working at, and um, and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to work for this big company. Yeah. And um, But actually, I thought, I mean, at the time, Fitness First were the, the biggest fitness provider in this country, probably yeah. even maybe in the world, I'm not sure. And I thought, Claire you can really learn something from these guys there's a reason why they're doing so well so I stuck with them and uh, I actually yeah I learned a huge amount and they promoted me to the Fleet Street branch well Fetter Lane Fleet Street branch in London and um, made me the gym manager there so uh, and it, at that point they changed from fitness instructors into the system that they have currently which is the PTs that pay the rent, and it was it was I took I took that system through with Fitness First, wow. and um, so it was it was really good to see see that transition through, and also just to see how the fitness industry was changing and absolutely booming. Yes, <laughs> just booming. So that's about 10, 15 years ago, Max. That would have been that was two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Oh, okay. That we did that, yeah. Right. So yeah, fifteen years, and that's. It, that change is what we're seeing now. Yeah. Like this okay. massive, massive difference how it yeah. used to be. I remember starting and it was like, I probably knew four personal trainers. Yeah. Like, and that was it in the whole area. That's all I knew. There may have been a few more, but that, that was all I sort of knew of. And then from there, it kind of, it became the sort of thing where gyms are going, well, why would we be paying people to be on the gym floor? And we can, you know, they learn more, we'll learn more out of them getting a rent. Mm -hmm. and, and the members are obviously, is keeping up with, the big boys like the Americas and Canada's and Australia's, their industries are booming and we yeah. followed suit. Yeah. So what made you leave Fitness First? 
Because um, you were there a little while. <laughs> I was there a little while, and I was doing really well. And um, I was, uh, I was in a meeting in central London. So it was a it was a manager's meeting that I'd have to go to each month. And uh, Fitness First, uh, Fetalane, the, the club I worked at, was killing it. We'd win it. We'd win the award every month, and I'd get a bottle of wine and this award and blah blah blah. And every month they what they would do is they'd say Claire you know it's going really well um, and put my targets up <laughs> and Brilliant. I thought <laughs> and I thought hmm I'm not sure about this because basically my job at that club we had 6,000 members I think at that club at that time and it was small you know yeah. it was uh, I think we had 12 treadmills four bikes really six cross trainers something like that and um so basically it was just crowd management right. <laughs> in the gym we'd have all these people Directed come in people yeah it was packed like on a monday night chest night you know yeah. everything <laughs> it was one bench. Uh, one bench yeah one bench and just you know one pair of 10k dumbbells it was just yeah it was yeah, herding people around basically and i thought how can we do it? We can't keep doing this. And of course you can. You can have a gym with 6,000 members with, with that small. It does work because we all know that the vast majority, the vast, vast majority of people with gym memberships don't actually attend. Don't go. But I still felt that I, I just wanted to give back a little bit more. And at the time I was doing more yoga. So I... And it was also, yeah, it was, this, it was a really, really hot summer yeah. that year. And I was working from 6am till 8pm at night, like a lot of people do in London. And I just thought, oh, this must be more to life than this. Yeah. <laughs> I had one of those moments. These four walls. <laughs> These four walls and making lots of money for Fitness First as much as I liked, the, the, I liked that business, you know. Um, and so I thought, I want to go somewhere else where there's more space. So I went to Canada. Yeah. There's lots There's of space. more space there. That's quite There's an extreme more. jump for space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I just went traveling and I did my yoga teacher training and because um, I was quite, I was getting quite into yoga then. And yeah, just kind of learned a little bit more about other parts of life. I could, you know, I was still really young. I learned about permaculture. Yeah. I learned about different ways of living, like communal living. I got I went through a little bit of a hippie stage, yeah. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, learned just more about the environment and just all that sort of stuff. Back in the time, we were talking a lot about climate change and stuff, and then sort of pre, Weird, I've heard of pre this. the crash, yeah. you know? The financial <laughs> crash changed everything. Nobody cared about uh, the... <laughs> Nobody cared about Nobody the, cared about the climate. Bears, did they, at the time? No, when we were all going through the financial crash, and now everyone's sort of talking about the plastic yeah. and a little bit more now, which I think is really good. Isn't it fascinating? Mm. And yeah. I, I think I've said it similar before, but I think things like Netflix have opened so many people's eyes yeah. because of being able to watch stuff for five quid a month, watching documentary after Abs documentary absolutely. about this thing. That, and I also I think that when you can only care about it's the it's the old. Added, um, the old thing that you you know put your own gas mask on before putting somebody else's on like y you can only care about other things when you're okay yeah. i think that's fair to say and 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 i think that when we're going through the financial crisis people were concerned about their own big time their own life and their own work and it, and stuff so you know now i think maybe people are feeling a bit more comfortable and yeah david it's the attenborough effect isn't it yeah, david yeah. attenborough's brought out 
all these things showing about showing turtles with cotton buds up their noses and people are like oh plastic's terrible and it's true it is but I have to say, hippies were talking about this. Always been that way. <laughs> in 2003 or whatever. In fact, when I lived in Canada, in, in British Columbia, in Victoria, which is just whales and rainbows and dolphins and yeah. dream catchers, basically. <laughs> that's all that's going on there. Yeah. The, like, if you went downtown and ordered a coffee and didn't bring your own mug, like, you were, like... That was, you know, that was a real crime. Really? Yeah, and, and when I came back to this country, and I remember going to a Starbucks, and I took my travel mug, and I said, oh, can I have a Americano or whatever I was ordering? And they poured the coffee into the disposable mug, and then they poured that into my, <laughs> into my travel mug. And I said, hey, dude, wh wh what did you do that for? And he said, well, if I don't use the, this mug and throw it away then we don't know how many coffees we've sold today. And I said, are you, are you seriously telling me that that's the way you count your coffee? Like, you've got this really technical till in front yeah. of you. And you Surely you can and, do a total. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. But, um, yeah. So, I think so now I just feel changing. that we're catching up, we basically, in the UK, yeah. and, um, which, is, which is a good thing. Yeah. Increasing awareness is good. I know, but, like... You know, obviously, you know, my, my wife, Tori, she's hugely interested in this sort of area now. And it's really piqued an interest in her and almost a fire mm. to kind of wake people up to things. And I think we are far behind, but and we've got a lot of catching up. But I think it's at least it's better late than never. We're on our way, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, but like with so with that sort of thing, and this is really why I wanted to bring you on because it's that I know loads of trainers, mm -hmm. you know, and you're one of the best. But it's looking at it going, like, there's so many other things that you do and talk about and are aware of and, mm -hmm. and lots of strings to your bow. And that's what I want to talk to you about. So, like, the hippie side of things <laughs> is great. I love that. <laughs> um, so I, I, that's... Canada, for, for me, is very special because I lived there for a bit. Yeah. And it moulded how I looked at, at training more so. It was, it was a year there and it was in that environment. I learned a lot about training and it moulded how I view fitness so mm -hmm. i brought that back to the uk and it clearly had a, other effects on on you and far different um yeah. so did you so did you dilute that back down when you came back to the uk or did I, you i think keep... you have to yeah i think you have to um as we were talking earlier like it's uh you don't always want to be that person yeah you know like it's and also i think if you are constantly that person mm. you know we all know that person who says oh don't tell claire you're flying to new zealand because yeah. you know the the greenhouse effect or don't tell claire you're eating you know yeah. fish or whatever like it then you it 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 becomes um it becomes yeah nobody wants to hang out with that person yeah. for one and also people it, it's people stop listening yeah. exactly exactly so um yeah and also i think really you basically have to choose your battles mm -hmm. you know and i know it's a, it's a bit of a cliche thing to say but yeah i think you know whatever it might be palm oil plastic choose your battle like buying things where people are paid a fair wage I don't know. I don't, and I and I think it's really important you don't stand up on a pedestal. And I'm so so not perfect. It's a lonely place on that pedestal, and there's only one way, and that's down. You know, so nobody's perfect. And I think just just living by your own 
values but knowing what those values are I think that's the key and that's what kind of yoga taught me really that's fair yeah. I think it's you're, you're right in terms of doing uh, doing the things you can do but it's also it's similar to fitness in a way because you kind of you take small steps and make a big change yeah if we said to a brand new client right ditch all of this you have to start training six days a week or like we're not only going to injure them mm-hmm. they're not going to adhere to that mm. and it's similar with lifestyle stuff i think like we we've made a few changes in terms of you know we, we we buy locally so that it's it's not causing too much of an effect but also it means that it's whatever seasonal mm-hmm. we're supporting a local business it gets delivered in boxes not plastic bags and all that kind of stuff so little yeah. little changes food waste we try and make yeah. to make sure we plan a bit better to make sure there's very little food waste yeah um but it's funny i see people it piques interest a big one is plastic straws for some reason everything else plastic yeah. seems to be fine but plastic straws <laughs> are a big problem yeah. so where it's people, of that turtle I it, it must turtle. be the way yeah. so where <laughs> people realize this all the big chains of coffee shops and whatever are like oh we've getting rid of plastic straws yeah. but they'll serve you a cold coffee with a wood uh, whatever a, a paper straw in a plastic cup mm-hmm. and so it but people are not they don't it doesn't compute because they haven't got a plastic straw yeah. but i think it at least it, we're on our way as a start yeah. but that's similar like it's similar to what we're talking about with fitness it's you know if you make a start do a few things we can get to these other bits later on you know hopefully and it's just a case of making small changes yeah so you mentioned yoga so you did full yoga certifications and then came back and put them to practice well how'd that work kind of yeah i did um i did my 200 hours or i think it's or 300 hours at in canada in victoria in bc um and is that learning or teaching teaching yeah, yeah right. teaching learning to be a teacher um and yeah it was an amazing experience because i would go into this really lovely la 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 yoga studio downtown yeah. in chinatown in victoria and if anybody has been to chinatown in victoria bearing in mind i used to live uh in london and work near chinatown in london um which, you know, is quite a happening place. Chinatown in Victoria, in uh, BC, is just the sweetest. Like, it's like, it's just basically one road. Like, it's like the road you live on. It's like, it's as wide and as long as that. It's not very, it's not very big, shall we say. So, yeah, Chinatown in... It's not bustling. No, it's not bustling. But it was lovely. And I'd go to this really just full of yummy mummies and stuff in this yoga studio and then I would live because I didn't have I was I was planning on traveling for a long time so I didn't have a lot of money so I was living in this um it, it wasn't for the homeless <laughs> okay <laughs> but it was it was kind of like a step up okay. with all these guys who would come over from Toronto and they would like because it's warmer over in BC so you you don't want to be homeless in Toronto you want to go and live in uh, Victoria really so there would be a there's a lot big homeless problem over there and um uh, and so, yeah, I'd be living with these people, and you know, some of the women were prostitutes, and some of the guys were, you know, drug addicts, and and so the contrast—that's what I'm getting at. Right, okay. The contrast between my day when I would hang out with these yummy mummies drinking their, you know, chai lattes, yeah. and going back in the evening to like what we would do is like the guys would go to the cafe opposite where we where this refuge—it was called a refuge—they would go to the cafe and like collect up all the crumbs. The muffin crumbs it was unbelievable wow. and we would sit there and honestly stew it's almost like i've never tasted anything more delicious because it's like 
you know, like the the joy from these yeah. people of like these blueberry muffin crumbs that we and we would sit there and we'd all like eat these and you know I could have afforded I didn't wasn't you know I'd been a PT in London for years like yeah. I, I had the money but I was trying to save but I liked these people and yeah. I really I learned so much from them and I learned like the sadness of what drugs does for people to yeah. be quite honest and um, and that that really sad cycle when people get sucked into that for whatever reason they've got so much emotional pain or whatever and you know they turn they turn to that sort of lifestyle and it's it was really sad to see that but um it was an amazing opportunity i recommend it to anyone yeah yeah we'll give out the address at the end of the show (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing though and you were how long were you in canada uh, I was there for five months. I lived in that place for five months. Wow. And then I went... <laughs> Did you have a real meal at any point? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I would cook for them. and we'd, I love honestly, it. Honestly, it was great. It was a really good time. I don't want to paint it as a sad time. It no. was a really positive, really great thing to do. Um, it's interesting you'll find... People will find positives out of their situation, whatever it is. Yeah. And when you strip everything back to the very basics of what we really need mm-hmm. we don't need half of the things that we've got for sure and that's yeah. that's really interesting yeah so you were there for five months i was there for five months and then i um i picked up this leaflet on um <laughs> Stu's people face. are getting an idea of, of how of why i said i wanted to bring you on this show <laughs> i picked up this leaflet about i feel this, like you're gonna be a regular this place called <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, this place called Yashoda Ashram, and um, and I was like, and it, it was on this lake, this beautiful dark blue lake, um, in these mountains, like these snow-topped mountains. And I thought, hey, I need to go there. Where is this place? And um, I discovered that it was about, uh, I don't know how how long it takes, but it was it's on the other side of BC, on right. the other side of British Columbia. So. Uh, Victoria's on the west coast, um, on the island, Vancouver Island. And then uh, this place was near Nelson, okay. for anyone who knows where that is. Um, not an insignificant trip. No. And uh, this, this guy called Todd said to me, I'll come with you. So um, so I said, sure. And this guy, I don't know how old, how old was Todd? He, he'd had a pretty rough life, but, you know, save his... I don't know, 45, 50, 55, something like that. Um, And so we're sitting on this bus. We had got as far to Vancouver, and then we were taking the Greyhound bus towards Nelson. So we were stopping off in the Okanagan Valley in a place called... I can't remember. can't remember. Um, And so we were stopping off some friends there. Um, And he tells me that... (laughs) He'd committed armed robbery. (laughs) (laughs) This was like a a while ago. Like he'd done he'd done his time, Stu. So everything was fine. He'd done his time, but I was like traveling. You immediately became less safe. I was like, okay, this is fine. This is cool. Um, but he'd got leukemia and he wanted to come to the ashram with me because he wanted to, like, you know, find out what life was all about because he was sort of faced with his mortality, I yeah. suppose. And um, so, yeah, I just remember this, this trip and I remember thinking, this is a pretty crazy thing for me to hear, but it's a pretty crazy thing for the people either side, like Absolutely. sitting, because yeah. it was like a dead quiet greyhound bus, like in the middle seats. of the night. <laughs> yeah, it was like, 
Anyway, we made it to the ashram. I was fine. We made it to the ashram. And, um, yeah, and I stayed there for a couple of weeks, and it had a really big impact on me, and I just thought, um, you know, I wanted to go back to that place. But I I had one of those tickets where you could sort of go around the world. I had a around-the-world right. flight ticket, so I, um, and I wanted to go to China. So I had to leave the ashram. Um, oh, that was different to Chinatown? Yeah, yeah different from Chinatown. <laughs> different Definitely, feel. yeah, yeah, different, very so different. So that was next, The Chinese was it? food was a lot better in China, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, we, we left, and um, and Todd left too, actually, but I think he, he it did have a big impact on him, yeah. That's good. That's interesting. That is good. That's it. That is interesting. Now, he, he left for a positive reason. He wasn't doing anything he shouldn't. No, but weirdly, he did say that the ashram really reminded him of prison. Really? <laughs> yeah, because of like, I think just because of the regularity of life, you know, the three meals a day and sort of the, and yeah, and like the, just the, like the, the compulsory exercise. <laughs> Being the yoga <laughs> and <laughs> and the evening meetings and yeah, that's funny. brilliant. That is, I'm sure that that ashram is not looking to hear that. But no, <laughs> no, but it says something for the prison it system does, in yeah. uh, Canada. Doesn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah. So basically, don't worry about committing crimes in Canada. <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. That is crazy. So off to China next. And how long were you in China? Was it long? Uh, no, not too long. I was there for about a month. So you started doing a bit more just like normal yeah. travelling style? A bit more travelling, yeah. Learning. I wanted to learn about uh, Buddhism and other things, yeah. And then I went to Australia. Right. Uh, and I wanted to learn about permaculture. Do you know what permaculture is? I don't. Is? Do you? No. Um, permaculture is a way, uh, it's quite a hard thing to describe, I think, but it's a way of des- of designing the land or designing designing where you're say you have a say you have a plot of land and it's a way of designing that land to make it as self-sufficient as possible oh, okay so in australia obviously the main problems being lack of water mm-hmm. um huge amount of sunshine so you would design the building to have as much shade as possible so you wouldn't have to have air conditioning if possible because it takes a lot of energy to okay. and um and also to collect as much water as possible so you're not relying on the you know the water system to water your plants or to water your vegetables or whatever and and also thinking about uh the nutrients of the soil so can you have um can would you have chickens to provide the nitrogen to put back into the soil which you're taking out through the vegetables and things like that and they have what i like about it is you have three principles within permaculture it's care of the people care of the land and distribute all surplus and i think it's in that that um order order um which i think is really a lovely thing and i really felt i really thought when i was there that that was the direction my life was going to go in i thought i was going to go down that route and throw away the health and fitness industry and uh, turn my back on that but um i'm really glad i didn't actually i mean i guess you know, who knew? So I could be sitting here doing a permaculture podcast yeah, instead yeah. of a, yeah. instead of on health and fitness one and talk about my days in fitness first. Yeah. But um, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, no, I think it's. I, I'm glad I learned about it. How but um, you uh, at the at the permaculture research farm, I was there for four or five months. So good, good how did you like? Because my question is, how you go to Australia, right? And you're traveling. I know you definitely got a different mindset but most people are going to go oh, i'm going to hit bondi 
right? I'm going to travel <laughs> up in a whatever van and no I'm going to... How, mm. how did you even get in? Because I've not heard of the term. I understand about sustainability, but I've not heard the term permaculture. How did you get into that? Is this something you learned elsewhere? Yeah, I suppose so. I, um, I, I think I really didn't like the, the backpacking scene. Right. I just, I didn't... I guess, I think we all feel a little bit like black sheep. I think, you know, we hear people say, oh, you know, I've, I feel like a black sheep. But I think I just re- I just didn't ever like that scene. And yeah. I would I'd be in a backpacker's hostel or whatever, and, and all people used to want to talk about was, like, where are they going to go next and where they've been. And, and I just used to think, what have you learned? Like, have you learned anything? And, and so I guess I started doing something called Woofing, which stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And, um, and with the Woof scheme, it's really cool. So you can go and stay at a farm or an organisation in exchange for food and board. So you can, um, you can work, work with these people and you get to meet you get to meet the people, you know, whereas when you're in a hostel, you meet other people from Britain. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. you might meet a French person. Yeah. Or you might meet... But, you know, if you're in Australia, you want to meet the locals, don't yeah. you? You know, you want to know about the land. You want to know about, like, how you live, how, how things work in this mm. country. It's nice meeting people from France, but I don't want to meet people from France necessarily in Perth, you yeah. know? Yep. So I started doing this woofing thing, and then and that's how I got into... Um, understanding what permaculture was and then I wanted to learn more so the permaculture research farm was also a woof farm so that's how I got, got right. to go to there so there's a network that you can tap into yeah and, yeah I see and actually the farm I live in now Lower Shore Farm in Swindon was one of the very first woof farms so it's now it's a global organisation but right. it was started well pretty much started here in Swindon really yes so when we come we'll People won't know this, but we'll come over for dinner occasionally at the farm and myself mm. and Tori will come over and there'll be someone from Venezuela yeah. there playing the guitar <laughs> and someone else who's doing some sort of, you know, chicken whispering or there's some <laughs> stuff going on at your farm all the time. Yeah. And there's never been a time where someone said to me, oh, what are you doing here? It's always, how are you? Welcome. Straight yeah. away. Absolutely. And yeah. you just dive in and help with whatever's going on. So yeah. I remember going to Lower Shore Farm as a kid Mm. And going to like uh, summer camps or whatever for a, you know, a week in the summer holidays, you go and do activities or whatever. And it's, was it, is it always been this sort of a setup where people can go and stay and, and whatever? Or is it, was it run as a business that way before? Um, yeah, well, in the 80s, and I might get dates wrong here, but in, in the 80s, it was a working dairy farm. Right. And there was lots of them in West Swindon, that West side of Swindon and I I think it is the 80s the council bought up all the farms of compulsory purchase so the farmers had no choice they had to sell their land and then it was at the time when Swindon was the largest growing town in the whole of Europe I believe and they built on that whole west side of Swindon Um, and uh, they gave up Lower Shore Farm which is only three acres the council at the time gave it over to a, a group a community a man called Dick Kitto and some friends and they set it up for educational activities and yeah from then on since then yeah since then it's That'd so it's still right owned by Swindon Borough Council yeah right because I was I was 84 born so I would have been there in my late kind of single digits I would imagine as a 
like a youngster playing games or whatever. So it would have been early nineties. So that's mm-hmm. probably about the right the right time frame. Yeah. That's amazing. So you're back you so do you ended up at Swindon and then just stayed there? How did that yeah. what happened there? Well, I continue yeah, I went back to the ashram. So yeah. after my stint in Australia, I went back to the ashram. Now was Todd still there or is he gone? No, Todd had gone by then. Right. Yeah. he I don't know where he'd gone. I, I lost contact with Todd. But um and I lived there for a year and a half. So oh. I did another yoga teacher training there and I um I was also the youth coordinator, so anybody under the age of thirty could go and live there for free. So I was kind of the coordinator within all that, as well as the karma yoga coordinator. Karma yoga is like selfless service. So anybody who goes to live there right. has to do a certain amount of work for free right. um, and uh, to work through their karma, Stu. Okay, right. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. why not? It's why not? Yeah, it's one way of doing it. So, um, yeah, so I was in charge of all the karma yoga as well. So, um, then I came back to the UK and I didn't really want to, I didn't want to live in London anymore because I kind of thought, mm, done that, yeah, over and it. that's not what I wanted to do. So I started in Shetland and I was going to work my way down through, And but I really liked Shetland. It's a great place and I spent a really special summer there in 2007, I think. And um, uh, yeah, so... But the but September hit and it felt like the middle of December. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was really cold and really dark. So I was like, heck, I can't live here. So I um, travelled quickly down <laughs> through, as opposed to the slow... Not on a pony. Uh, no, I travelled quickly down south as fast as I could. Um, and the only uh, wolf farm that would take me because of the time of year was Lower Shore Farm. And that's right. how I ended up here in Swindon. There you go. So, yeah. Okay, so that brought you full circle back to the fitness industry straight away? or Yeah, well, at the time, I just needed some money because mm. I only had about £185 in my pocket. That's right. all I had. And I, um, yeah, I needed some money and they were building Next Generation and I right. went for a job interview there and they said, you used to work at Curzon's and that was the boxing gym in Holborn. Right. And Curzon's used to be owned by Whitbread, which I believe owned David Lloyd, owned David Lloyd. Yeah. and they were like, "We like that connection." Yeah, and I thought, "Who? What? How? What? What is? The, how is this That's working?" Karma Yoga has done yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there you go. Okay, so yeah, because when I was starting at David Lloyd. Six months later, Next Gen opened. Mm, that's um, right. And I remember there were signs with Whitbread all over it, and mm. that didn't last very long. Whitbread mm. sold David Lloyd very soon after that, so you probably had a very small window yeah. to use your karma <laughs> yoga to get you in there. Okay, so that was 2007? Ooh, I think. maybe two, yeah. Possibly 2008? Yeah, possibly 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking 10 years ago, you started at Next Gen. You, you were employed by. I David was. Lloyd then effectively I was yeah right okay yeah. and you were and that didn't last long did it because next gen would messed around quite a lot with different types of models right as yeah far as who knows and who whatever. knows what they were doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> up until the doors closed yeah. in 2015 we didn't know what they oh, were doing yeah. um, but that was a difficult one because they they were buried in an industrial park where no one knew where it was mm-hmm and David Lloyd was open six months before and taken up all the premium kind of yeah. people that wanted to spend a hundred pound a month on membership were going there. Mm-hmm. And then next gen, didn't know what it really was. There was nobody yeah. that lived around there. So it wasn't a local traffic and I know. Um, unbelievable I, facility though. Unbelievable. Like the best probably in the Southwest of England. Yeah. I don't fantastic. think I've been anywhere better no. since. No. It was a brilliant place. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. So I, when did I start next gen? 
would have been probably 2013. 13, yeah. So I would have, I knew you anyway, because we'd done a couple of one day courses, but didn't know you well, mm, no. um, with the infamous Dave Parker, <laughs> uh, back pain courses and whatnot. And then I started running T2 out of there. We got to know each other um, and been friends ever since. But when you, when we came over to Blunsdon and started working here, you were in the middle of your master's or you were just starting it? Or? Uh, let me think. Yeah. Tw- I was, it's 2015, I isn't had it? One, yes. I'd, I was meant to have finished it because it, I was doing it part-time. Yeah. Um, and I, I, so, yeah, that was my second year. But because of a few personal issues, I took an extra year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, uh, it was a good thing to do, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it tested you. Oh, definitely tested you. It definitely tested me. And I think um, anybody who goes back to university after a big chunk of time out of that sort of life, it's such a massive test. It's such a big. Um, I think. I think. I mean, when I did my undergrad, like doing research, you'd go to St Bart's Hospital and yeah. you would read. You'd sit there in the library and read the journal article, and if it was any good, you'd go to the photocopy and photocopy yeah. it. You know, and and I was there, I was there, you know, like on Moodle and learning, <laughs> learning all this. And I was like, what? What is all this? Yeah. And so, yeah, for the, I think for the first six months, I was like, I wasn't really learning any, any like, how the system I was just learning how the system worked. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I felt so privileged to be like, to be learning again. Yeah. I think when you are, in any job really you, it just feels like you're giving out a lot you yeah. know especially in the fitness industry you know you're giving advice you're giving support you're giving an education to your clients you're just giving yeah. you know it's all going out and then just but to sit in a lecture and have somebody who you, you can obviously tell really knows their stuff um as as Kate, Katie, and etc. The yes. others, they obviously really, really loved their subject and really knew their stuff. T- to sit there and be just absorb that yeah. for like two, three hours, whatever, uh, was it, it, I was quite humbled by it actually. In the it's first in, yeah. first few months, it was quite a quite a privilege. Kate is amazing. I I had I'd spoke to her a few times and never really met her and I and I obviously heard the name and she was affiliated with Swindon for a long time and very well known. Um but then suddenly when I started working with Luke mm. um maybe what was 18 months ago I was sort of thrown into a meeting about one of his upcoming fights and she was there and I'd never met her but our paths had crossed so many times on messages about this or that or this person or that footballer or whatever and you talked about her and it was she she is obviously incredibly knowledgeable mm. um and it and very very well known and, and it's it's nice i the thing i always get and we it gets slept on a little bit i think but the thing i always get around here is the the wealth of very 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 good professionals we've got in our industry absolutely yeah there's so many yeah. who are 20 years into their career and are yeah. influencing education globally and we've got people that travel around the world and we've mm-hmm. got people that you know that, that go and educate in with translators in different countries and yeah. write syllabus and all this kind of stuff it's fantastic it's and I, I can't think that that's in every town we seem no. to have nurtured this little pot of of professionals in swindon yeah. which is well, amazing you mentioned dave parker and, yeah. and you know paul um, paul edmondson yeah, yeah. 
you know, really just people that have been in the industry for years and just know, and just the passion, I think, yeah. just the passion for it. And I think really, as you know, you have to have that passion. Yes. You're not in this job for the money, you know. No. And, um, yeah, you know, you know, I'm not poor by any stretch. No. But, um, yeah, you have to have that passion for it. And well, it's, it's interesting. It's one of the things that I'll often do when we first start a course is what is it that you're really interested in? Because if it is purely money you may as well get a job elsewhere. Mm. But if you're in it to help people and get them to improve and fitness and health and well-being and mentally in their, you know, their own self-esteem and so on, ironically enough, you'll make money. You'll mm. make a living out of it <laughs> because you're in it for the right reasons and people will want to pay you for your time. Yeah. So it is, it is interesting. But no, it's, it's definitely not the industry you go into immediately for money, but obviously you can, can lead that way. And you, you've got people doing... You know, like, like we just said, what, what, what the, the opportunities, uh, personally, the opportunities I've had flying around doing different things is amazing. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. I wouldn't swap those opportunities for, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but I count myself lucky to be able to sit in rooms with people and have a chat with, with very high-level professionals. We've not touched fitness, really. No. Um, which is not a problem. You're going to come back on at some point anyway. I'm not worried about that. But um, we'll wrap up shortly. But just for now, I know we're not going to get too technical. As far as sports therapy... So that people understand, because I do get questions about, oh, well, might consider being a physio or a sports therapist. Or what's, what is, what would you define mm-hmm. it as? Because it's a very different thing to physio. <laughs> it is. And from training. It so is, it's, yeah. if I said, oh, tell me if it's fair, it's fair to say you take a, a physio and a personal trainer and you sit right in the middle with the knowledge of each mm. and the ability to put it across to clients. Would that be fair? Uh I mean, I don't know if you noticed my sharp intake of breath ah. at this question. <laughs> so you probably get it all it's, the time. It's, well, not just that, but I just it's something I think about because I'm very much an exercise-based sports therapist. Yes. So I think what tends to happen, and I'm going to stick my neck out here, is that I think when people have educa- had a, a greater education or a higher education, they've gone to university or they've done a master's degree, they they don't want to be considered or put in the same boat as somebody who doesn't need to have that education to do that job. So what I'm saying is um, I think a sports therapist might get a little bit prickly if you describe them or just call them a personal trainer. Sure. Um, And maybe a physio might get a bit prickly if you call them a sports therapist Mm -hmm. because they may be perceived to have a higher qualification. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't don't know. It's different, though. It's different. And I think, basically, the main difference being between a physio and a sports therapist is is in the title, you know, like sports therapists should know about sport. And I get people coming to see me who have been running and they're they're very worried that I'm going to tell them to stop running. The first thing they're going to say they're a runner and they've got a knee problem. They're worried that I'm going to say, well, firstly, stop running. Mm -hmm. And I'll do anything but tell them to stop running. Whereas potentially, you know, if you go to somebody who's not a sports therapist, they might tell you to do that. I don't know. I'm sticking my neck out saying that. I don't know. It very much depends on the physio or whatever. But yeah, that, that that's, I am really interested in the overlap, not so much the overlap between sports therapists and physiotherapists, but I'm very interested in the overlap between personal training and sports therapy stroke mm. physiotherapy. Yeah. Um, I'll put them in the same boat, even though the physios might not like that. Um, so, yeah, like if you are just a, if the you are a, therapy, 
Yeah. So I guess the difference being that uh, then a sports therapist and a physiotherapist can diagnose. Yeah. Um, so we could say, you know, you're suffering from X, Y, Z, and this is what you need to do. Um, whereas a personal trainer doesn't have the qualification um, to do that. Mm-hmm. And they, they shouldn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, where I, I think, I mean, definitely, I would not be as good a sports therapist if... I hadn't had the years of personal training behind me. That's a real big one. Yeah. I think that's a real big one. We we get. We, I think we get that quite a lot now in terms of like, well, you know, there are physios that you that I know of that you kind of go, well, how is like the exercise technique I'm seeing at times? Mm. Mm-hmm. I would expect. I would expect level two graduate students from, from, from courses that take us a couple of weeks to complete to go, I don't like the look of that deadlift, mm. you know? Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I'd like to think that there's a high level of exercise knowledge. I don't know if that's always the case. Physios, I think, are more... It's more about regaining function. Mm. Would I be correct in saying that? Diagnosing issues and trying to hopefully regain, whether it's mobility in an ankle joint, not yeah. necessarily to squat, but to have mobility in the ankle joint. Yeah, well, physios and sports therapists, that's mm. the, the name of the game, is yeah. diagnosing what the issue is um, and restoring range of movement and reducing pain. Mm. I think that's the name of the game. Really. Yeah. Um, and your end goal is not just to do that, but to get them to end up doing what they were doing before, if not better. If not better, yeah. Um, right. And I think... I think just what jogged my memory when you were just talking there, Stu, is, is, is humility. And it's just this thing again about like, yeah, if you're a physiotherapist or a sports therapist, don't be too proud to learn from someone who knows better than you, even if they don't have what you might perceive to be a, as good a qualification as you. You know, you can learn um, better deadlift technique or front squat technique and and those those things you can put into your practice into your clinic or whatever and be better for for it and i think that's the key that's interesting and that's it's funny because again going back to like a kate Mm. she's part of luke's team yeah but luke doesn't go for her to the to her for the exercise he Mm. goes to her for the understanding of of what might be tight what might be whatever and then she relays the information to us Mm -hmm. and trusts us to put it into practice as far as what's what's going to be best for him exercise wise yeah and you know we i I feel like we've got a really good kind of four-pronged attack with luke because he's obviously he's the talent kate diagnoses what the issues are with his body whether it might be a weakness here or a tightness there or whatever paddy is his boxing coach he's the skill guy and he'll look at it and go, okay, for the next fight, we need to be X, Y, Z. And then Steve does his strength work and I do his sort of conditioning work. So it's, it's almost like going, okay, Kate, what are you seeing? Paddy, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And then we'll kind of bridge the gap between the two and hopefully put that all to practice. Yeah. And now whether that's a case that Kate hasn't got the time to help him with that or she just goes, do you know what, that's your job, which yeah. is great. It's a lovely... Um, uh, it's, a, it's a nice gesture the fact yeah. that she's going I don't need to worry about that because these boys have got it covered which yeah. is great but obviously not every, everybody's got that so mm-hmm. it'd be nice to think that instead of it being a case so I'm just going to put together some stuff that I think will do yeah. to be able to have a team around somebody that, which is what I tend to try and do with you if yeah. I've got someone that I think oh, actually do you know what? that's not my bag like yeah. that's nothing I know about I, I think it's best after however many years in the industry to say go and speak to Claire she's going to understand that better or go and speak to Paul or Dave I, I handed someone over for pre and postnatal work recently to Paul because that's not for me. Yeah. Someone someone had requested to work with me, but it's not that's not me. Yeah. So I don't know enough. 
about that or have the time to put into that whereas he's got that knowledge off the top of his head yeah you know absolutely and I'd, I'd love to see more of that in the fitness industry um in the personal training industry and it we've sort of done a full circle really because i think that when it's so sales orientated as a personal trainer you cannot blame that trainer no. for taking on a client that is not for them yeah. you know they may be in pain or they may be lacking in range of movement or you know or, or they may need help with their nutrition and you cannot blame that trainer for taking on that client but really yeah like i i wish we lived we worked in more of an industry which was more like that that yeah. that it wasn't so sales orientated so that you could give out give out your clients yeah. a little bit more and until they are pain free and then they can come back yeah, yeah. that would be that would be ideal yeah. i think it's it's um obviously we discussed whether it would work or not at the beginning but like that's almost a vision for everybody being happy with a with a position in a in a in a club where you had the salary mm. i said right okay so if this if you really want you know, you rehab from surgery, this is the person booking with them if yeah. you really want this. And there's nothing to be gained from saying, actually, I'm on shift and I need that client, I'll take that. Yeah. Instead of it being a case of actually, Claire's way better at that than I am, so she should take that and I'll take whatever is yeah. better for me. And also, it makes your day better because you're working with people you want to work with. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. you're passionate about and they're going to get the best service. So, whether that obviously that model has a lot of, I mean, put that together 45 minutes ago so i'll have a little bit of time to think about that but <laughs> it, at least it's it's we're understanding a bit more about remit not every trainer is the same as every other trainer so it's trying to put Absolutely something not. together where you know we, we the, where the industry is best and that's what i got from canada mm. that was the thing i learned over there those trainers were thriving and yet they'd be happily gives a hundred dollar an hour client to another trainer yeah because it's better for them but that's because they're not they were all thriving not any of them struggling yeah that were, makes you a big in, difference. were you in toronto yes yeah i think that's again it's the, the financial difference. district in toronto yeah i think you've got clients coming out your ears whereas maybe in swindon or wherever in a smaller place yeah you know clients may be fewer um yeah you might be more inclined to to just say yes yeah 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 that makes sense that makes sense Claire we are at 50 minutes and you've been a Whoa. superstar I've absolutely loved this conversation and we've got a lot more to talk about in <laughs> part two part I think two. so we'll get you back in for sure um, any final words no uh, it's been a pleasure to be here Stu and congratulations on your marriage thank you very much yeah. I appreciate that I, um, I think you got a good one there I've got a great one there yeah. so yeah we had a, a wonderful day and amazing honeymoon so yeah and now on to blissful blissful married life blissful someone life. said to it me it starts here it's like